Monty, so what do you think? A podcast where we discuss weird and unsolved mysteries and events and give you our completely unprofessional opinion on them. I'm Jay. With me here is B. Hi. What are you drinking? It looks like you're sculling a, a bloody King Brown over there. What is it's that? Gin- it's a gingy beer. Oh, I like those. Yeah. I just saw the top of it. I thought, oh, God, we're going to be brown bagging it tonight. <laughs> well, I have moved to um, the yeah, hood. So. Yeah, the hood. <laughs> I'm just trying to fit in. Okay. All right. Well, you're doing well. <laughs> Thank you. I try. All right. So oh, that was full boob out. Oh, my God. Can you stop? Have you not learned to not wear that naughty when you are on Zoom to me, please? <laughs> I couldn't. I was trying to find something quickly because I had to rush, and this was already there. And then I was like, I better put a little jumper over the top. And I'm like, how find a little jumper? I'm like, oh well. And then I thought I'd be okay. And then I just reached up to put my drink on the bed head, and it just um, full boob, full boob. That's all right. We're used to it by now. You know, people pay extra for that. So you do like an OnlyFans or something. And I'm just giving it to you for free. So be thankful. All right, so as you know, I recently went over to Sydney for a short holiday, which was amazing. Yes. Have you been? Yeah. Uh, when I was very young, like yeah, it's, um, oh, this is this is the first. Uh, this was the second time I'd been over there. I was about ten or eleven, I think. So I don't remember much except being really excited about the monorail. Um, monorail, hey? Yeah, and um, Taronga Zoo. And I'm yeah. actually going over there again soon. And guess what? Oh. I'm excited about yeah, maybe Taronga Zoo. <laughs> yeah, Taronga Zoo was awesome, except they um you can't see the lions. The lions are in jail at the moment because they got uh-huh. out. <laughs> They're in jail. What did they do? <laughs> they got out. Oh, really? Yeah. Not long ago, they got out. Oh. Um, and they how? can't work out. They can't work it out. <laughs> they don't know how they got out. So. That's really hilarious. And how did I miss that? I know. I, re- I vaguely remember it happening in the news, but yeah. It's well, I've been told that we're not allowed to go to Taronga what? Zoo, but I can look at it from the ferry. What? That's unacceptable. I know. Oh, rude. Not okay. Well, look, I've got to say, Sydney is just pure chaos, like, and, and not necessarily in a bad way. It's just like crazy busy 24 7. We stayed at this hotel in Surrey Hills, which was a suburb with like gorgeous old buildings and cute cafes and little narrow streets and everything, but also like a lot of drunken shenanigans. And there was just like police, ambulance, fire trucks, sirens constantly, day and night. Mm. There is a huge homeless population over there, unfortunately. Um, And I know that Perth has got a share of rough sleepers, but after the sun went down in Sydney, they were just like all came out and were essentially on every corner, which really makes me really sad. I have so much compassion for rough sleepers. Mm. Um, I just feel really, really sad that they're in that. And it's so cold at night and everything. And something else happened while I was there, actually, was um, you probably all heard about that fire that happened in Surrey Hills um, that burnt the building down. It's been on the news. So that happened. I don't watch the news. You don't watch the news. Okay. All right. Well, I'll listen. You as know well. this. I don't have my antenna plugged in and haven't for like six or seven years. I am not necessarily just speaking to you. Okay. It's all about you. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Basically, right. a very, very old building got set on fire by some teenagers doing shenanigans. Um, and yeah, it was uh, just around the corner from my hotel. So 
we were out for the day, came back and couldn't get back to our hotel because we're in an exclusion zone. So yeah, it was um, chaos. It's big, it's loud, it's expensive, but it's pretty amazing as well. Um, we've got friends over there. We hadn't seen them for years and years. We caught up with them again and they're like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to we'll have to come over to Perth. And I'm like, we'll take you out of Perth. It's fine. Don't, don't get too excited about Perth. Like, yeah, Perth is just busy. like... <laughs> Prepare for the shock, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Anyway. Anyway, so the reason I'm saying all of this is because while we're in Sydney, we did a ghost tour of the rocks. Mm-hmm. And in this tour, I was reminded of a case that I've had on the back burner for quite a while now. So I thought, might why not talk about it now that it's fresh in my mind? Um, it's a little bit weird, a little bit, well, very tragic. It is the 1979 Luna Park ghost train fire. Have you heard of it? No. So it's not a scary one, you know, so don't worry. I know it's night time. We're recording and everything. It's okay. We're going to, so we (laughs) might be okay moving forward with doing spooky ones at night because now I have a man in the house to protect me. You've got a ghost hunter with you. Yeah. It's different when it was just me. Mm-hmm. And Tyson, because, you know, like, what was he going to do? He's going to fart at the ghosts. <laughs> yeah, do you want to come eat some of my toilet paper with me? Um, <laughs> yeah. Something like that. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, it's not a scary one anyway. So, All right. So for those not familiar with Sydney, Luna Park is a theme park with rides, show bags, et cetera, et cetera. It's just one of those like places that you take the kids, I suppose. It, and you all know it if you saw it. It's like got the big sun face at the front of it. You walk through teeth. You walk through the mouth of the sun thing. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. The park itself has been around since the 1930s and was originally opened in Glenelg in 1931. But then it was moved to Milsons Point, which is right next to the east side of the Harbour Bridge on the shore of that inlet there, which is where it is now. Right away... One of the most popular rides was the ghost train. So I feel like this might have been a little bit more involved than the ghost trains we know about here at the Perth Royal Show, which is pretty much the only ghost train I've ever been on. Have you been on the ghost train at the Royal Show? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's not scary. I can go on it. So it's not scary. And I'm scared easily. (laughs) You basically sit on like a little cart and it like, rides you along train tracks and you're in the dark and there's like cobwebs and people jumping out and touching you and stuff like that yeah I mean it's supposed to be scary for little kids I guess but yeah yeah it went so the the ghost trains that we have here I feel like they probably go for like not even a minute they're pretty quick like you're kind of in and you're out Mm. this ghost train went for two and a half minutes so way longer than any ghost train I've ever been on so it is June 9th, 1979, and it's just after 10 p.m. And there are approximately 35 people on this ride at any given time. All of a sudden, there's smoke. And it's very quickly seen that the ride is on fire inside the building. So as the ride is two and a half minutes long and it's pitch black inside, it's not like people can just sort of like jump out of their carts and run out the door. They basically have to just sort of sit there in their cart and hope that the ride is over soon. Because it's like a maze inside there, right? Yeah. And actually, like, everyone who does just that, everyone who does stay in their car does make it out alive. I mean, oh, God, how awful would that be, knowing that you're in this ghost train, it's on fire, 
you, you're trapped in there. You just have to sit there and wait. Like that would have been awful, right? You would be also wondering, I think, like, is this part of the ride? Like, is this like a scary thing? Are they like faking a fire or something? Yeah. And then you'd probably go through like the whole, mm, no, I don't think so. Oh, my God, are we going to die? Oh, no, what do we do? Run, no, we can't see where we're going. Like it would have just been horrific. I just, yeah, it makes me cringe to think about it. So as I said, everyone who stays seated gets out. But there are seven people who do try to escape. They get out of the carts and they will ultimately perish. So the victims we have, um, first of all, we have four friends who are year eight students, so only 13 years old, from Waverley College, uh, Richard Carroll, Michael Johnson, Jonathan Billings, and Seamus Riley. They were there with another friend, Jason Holman. So each ride seats four people and there were five of them. So Jason like was like, all right, not enough room for all of us. I'll jump in the cart behind. And he was actually just about to go through the barrier into the building when a guy, just a random guy, saw the smoke and so he like grabbed him and yoinked him out of the cart and basically saved his life because his friends in the cart in front of him were the last cart to go through. So talk about lucky. Someone was looking out for him that day. He's completely traumatised though, obviously. You know, he, he saw his friends go into that building and it was the last thing that they did. And, you know, he ran to the end to wait for them to come out because people were sort of coming out, you know, and, and they were okay and he was just hoping. Um, but, of course, you know, when the when it came to time for their car to come out, it was just an empty car and it was on fire as well. So that would have been horrible for him. That's a lot for a 13-year-old. Jason would say that the fire was like no fire he'd ever seen before and it just like engulfed the building immediately, like it was massive. And other witnesses say that too, like it almost didn't behave like a normal fire. So the other three people who died were a father, John Godson, and his two sons, four-year-old Craig and six-year-old Damien, which I think is just like that's just upsetting to start with. They were at the park with Jenny um, who was the wife and mum, and were about to go all on together on the ghost train when at the last minute she got this sudden craving for ice cream. She was like, afterwards she was like, I don't even like ice cream, I don't eat it, but like here I was not able to continue in life without going and getting an ice cream. So she's like, guys, I need ice cream. I'm going to go get one. You guys go on the ghost train. I'll see you at the end of it. Um, and, yeah, that saved her life as well. Although you can say... She was lucky, she didn't die, all of that sort of thing. But, I mean, I don't know how lucky losing your entire family in one go is, but I suppose it's better than death for some people. I don't know. I don't know whether I'd want to be alive after that. Yeah. Now, when they were in the car and they saw the fire happening, John had tried to lead the boys to safety, but he was not able to. So very, very sad. Now, the park was shut down for investigation immediately. Now, straight away, police called electrical fault. End of story. We're not doing any more investigations. It was an electrical fault. However, that was not enough for everyone. The world kind of pushed, like, well, the Sydney kind of pushed, like, no, no, we need answers on this. A lot of people have died. It was really horrific. So you need to look into this. So we needed to know not only what started the fire, but how it could just be so devastating so quickly. So they decided to do a coronial inquiry and a federal investigation as well. It was found that a few factors led to it being so devastating. For starters, the park was woefully understaffed and they just there just weren't enough um, workers there to spring into action to help out to try and put out the fire. 
Also, the fire hose system was not long enough to get to the ghost train, but even if it had been, there was bugger all water pressure. So they really just had no means of putting it out by themselves. So by the time the fire department got there, it was just roaring and it took fireys over an hour to get it under control. So not cool. Lots of negligence going on there. Now, although they found out all of that, the inquiry could not find a cause of the fire, but they did find that it was not an electrical fault, as had been stated by the police at the start. They did find extreme negligence by the park owners, though, because 18 months prior, the council had ordered a fire safety consultation, which said that there was not enough adequate fire suppression processes in place and that they needed to at least get like a sprinkler system up and running. Um, and they never did it. So negligence aside, what caused the fire? So before we go into theories, what are your initial thoughts? Um, well, if it's not an electrical, uh, <laughs> electrical, <laughs> not electrical, <laughs> so like more rose. <laughs> if it was not an electrical fault, then what else could it be? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess like. It has been lit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a possibility for sure. So, yeah, like I don't know what else what else it could be. Yeah, well, that's it. And I suppose my biggest question is why were the police so very much like, no, no, nothing to see here, just an electrical fault. Yeah. Always get some spidey sense going when I say police. Why are they, why are they hiding? What are they hiding? Shutting things down to start with, yeah. Yeah. So over the years, we have had some witnesses come forward. Yeah. A group of young men were seen hanging around the ghost train right before the fire started. And some people even said that they smelled kerosene at the same time. Yeah. 17-year-old Les Dowd said that right before the fire, he saw these guys talking about starting a fire. um, And that was right before the fire went off. He told police straight away what he'd seen, but was told by then that he never saw that at all. And nope, it's an electrical fault. We don't want to hear about it, basically. He ended up being bullied into retracting his statement as well. So that was a bit shit. Now, another witness, 14-year-old Tina Shakeshift, said that she saw the guys too. And right before it erupted in flames, she heard one of them say, you shouldn't have done that. And another one say, come on, let's split. So thoughts on these dudes. Who are they? And why are they starting fires? Well, it sounds as though they're starting fires, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you see some dudes talking about starting fires and they smell like kerosene. Yeah, I mean. And then there's a fire. You're kind of like, hmm. I feel like that's a no-brainer, actually. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we can definitely say that these guys should be looked at as suspects. But, you know, who are they? And why were they, like, pushed as being not involved as well by the police? So, again, what's going on with the cops is my question. I mean, if they were just like dumb teenagers starting a fire, you'd think the cops would be all over that and mm. they'd be like wanting those eyewitness accounts and looking into them further, I suppose. But they mm. were never found. Nobody, No details of them were ever released or anything. It was almost like the police just wanted them to have not existed at all. Yeah. So I guess like were they just guys doing stupid shit or were they working for someone is the question. Well, For many years there were rumours, theories, but not really much has been sort of known about this case for quite a while. So this happened in 79 and it's only really probably been the last few years that people have looked into it a little bit more. 
Um, I think that it was one of those things that was just sort of in Sydney folklore for so long. And then someone actually, probably with the invention of uh, true crime podcasts and documentaries, everyone starts to put their analytical brain on a little bit more now, I think. Yeah. A second, that doesn't add up. (laughs) So lately, a bit more of a clear picture has become evident. Now, the mystery of this case essentially comes down to the question, was this just a tragic accident that was almost inevitable given the poor safety standards and lack of upkeep? And was it a disaster just waiting to happen, a perfect storm of like negligence leading to tragedy? Or was this the direct result of human intervention? And if so, who and why? So any gut feelings at this point? Well, I mean, why, who was on the ride? Like, was someone on the ride that, you know, young kids wanted to hurt or? You think it was like a hit sort of situation, like a targeted thing? Yeah, or just kids being stupid and thinking that something's fucking funny and a joke and not thinking about the severity of the consequences if something actually does go wrong. So, like, it obviously sounds like there was a lot of young kids at this park, so is it, like, school bullies um oh yeah mm-hmm. um prank gone wrong sort of situation surely you'd know i mean i know that young guys can be dumb but like surely you'd know the catastrophic consequences of starting a fire in a mm. ride full of little children you know yeah but you know there's a lot of idiots out there yeah sure. i mean we've got these guys they were seen near the ride outside the ride but they actually worked out that the fire originated in a fake fireplace inside the ride. So I guess, like, I don't know how the fire was lit on the, I don't think the fire was lit on the outside by the sounds Mm -hmm. of it. So they would have had to have gone in without being seen and then get out without being seen as well. And that seems a little bit more unlikely. Yeah. Unless one of the workers was involved, maybe. I don't know. I just feel as though, like, if you were to enter one of those rides, you wouldn't know where the hell you were going. No. Um, you were, and, and there's just like a constant stream of carts, right? So someone's going to see you if you're in there. The dialogue that they heard saying lends more to shenanigans gone wrong. Um, you know, the whole talking about it for ages and then seeming unsure and then sort of being like, get the hell out of here sort of thing, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether this was an arranged thing or what. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm with you. I'm kind of like, mm, at the moment. Yeah. yeah. So then we're left with one the- with the theory that this was a planned thing. Yeah. So like I said, rumours were always around. Now, I still go to the police. Like it's that classic question, is this incompetence or is this corruption? You know, like there's something wrong here. There is something wrong with the police having such a massive thing happen and just shutting down an investigation immediately. That to me, says that there's something more to this. So the police head detective on the case, Doug Knight, had, of course, been witness tampering. We know that. He was bullying people and changing stories. So questions have been raised about him since day one, especially when instead of cordoning off the area after the fire was out and the bodies recovered so that a proper investigation could be carried out, he ordered it to be cleared immediately. So there essentially was no investigation. It was just put the fire out, get the bodies out, nah, get rid of it, bulldoze it, break it all up, you know. So 
no crime scene was ever preserved. It was just raised immediately. Knight also very quickly announced that he had four witnesses come forward and tell him that they saw sparks and flames coming from a fuse box. So therefore, it was obviously an electrical fault. Case closed. Funny, though, when the inquest happened, they couldn't find any statements from any of these so-called witnesses anywhere. In fact, you couldn't see the fuse box from outside the ride or from inside the train carts inside the ride. So that was dodgy. Knight also said that the Sydney uh, County Council's electrical expert, James Smith, told him that his investigation found an electrical fault. But then Smith got word of this and he was like, no, I didn't. I never found that. I never told him that. Why is he saying that? Mm. During the inquest, the police prosecutor, Mr. Wedderburn, said that he was totally stonewalled by detectives too. They refused to help him at all. So he could not even do an investigation. So at this point, what are our thoughts on Detective Knight? Dodgy as. Dodgy AF. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear that he's, like, covering up for someone, right? Or he's involved in it directly himself. Yeah. This was a massive tragedy and the public would have been crying out for answers. So you'd think that the police would have been as thorough as absolutely possible. I just don't understand how it kind of slipped away. It's almost like there was public outcry for an investigation and there was this coronial inquest as well because of that. But then sort of nothing happened after that as well. It was almost like it just couldn't go any further yeah so this is where it's been at since 1979 up until 2021 so quite a while 42 years of just going oh well that was just the ghost train fire that happened in sydney yeah now in 2021 abc did a documentary on this fire and a lot of new evidence came to light so finally all of these witnesses who had been silenced for all these years could actually come forward and give their accounts of things freely now And it led to people looking into Doug Knight a little bit more as well. So everyone was like, okay, we were silenced by this guy. You need to look into him. And it does turn out that he had underworld connections. I was totally going to, oh, it's (laughs) snake. There's a dog dog in the frame licking your face. (laughs) Um, I was sitting here thinking, okay, what year was this again? Hmm, this sort of lines up with like the underbelly stuff. Mm-hmm. And there was so, so much police corruption during the, um, in particular, if, for people that are Australian, um, would be familiar with the underbelly series, um, mm-hmm. particularly the, the first two were pretty good. The other ones I didn't rate that much. I haven't um, so any of them actually. They're, they're quite good. I actually really, I actually really like them. So the first one's obviously the um, the one through our time, mm. um, like the Moran brothers and Carl Williams. Um, this yes. Um, and then the um second one is a tale of two cities, which is like all through the seventies, um, and there was so. So much police corruption. So yeah. much police corruption. Yeah, well, this would have been dead dead at that point. So yeah, like dodgy lawyers, dodgy police, everyone in each other's pockets. Like it was a wild, yeah. wild time back it then. It was crazy. Mm. Yeah. 
so yeah, we've got we've got a police investigator with Underworld Connections really stonewalling an investigation. You've got to really go, all right, well, I think I can see what's going on here. Yeah. But <laughs> why? See, yeah, that's exactly. where I go, okay, so who was in on this ride? That's why I said hit earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like, yep, yeah, okay. So yeah, like it's a hit on somebody in there. Okay. Yeah. Well, or or someone's um an intimidation tactic. Mm-hmm. Not killing the person directly involved, but I'll kill your children or something like that. Horrific. Yes. Yeah. Now investigative <laughs> take it back in. Now investigative reporter Kate McClymont came forward to during this documentary and said, you know what? I've spent years looking into this case and I've actually got some information that no one's really wanted to listen to until now. So in 2007, she spoke to a woman who was the niece of someone who was an underworld figure in the 70s uh, in your, as I said, I haven't seen Underbelly, but in that, did you ever get introduced to someone called Abe Saffron? Oh, it was like, I, it is so long ago yeah. that I watched this. I used to have the book. I even read some, read some of the books. But this is years. This is years ago. What name did you say? Now I have to look it up and see if the Abe Saffron possibly face looks yeah. familiar. He um he was a a big underworld guy. He was like the guy in the seventies. So yeah. So um this woman who Kate spoke to said that she was the niece of of him, and yeah. that and she claimed that he was the one behind the fire. Yeah. He was, like I said, a major figure in organised crime throughout the 50s, 60s and 70s. So he'd been around for a long time by then, um, up until his death in 2006. He was known as Mr Sin and the boss of the cross because he owned multiple businesses in King's Cross. For non-Australians, King's Cross is like our Sydney's like red light district. Yeah. He owned hotels and nightclubs. But he was also involved in, like, illegal alcohol, gambling, drug dealing, prostitution, et cetera, et cetera. Now, we have someone now putting Saffron forth as the culprit, and we have a dodgy cop who is rumoured to have been involved in organised crime. So the plot thickens. We then find out that a few years before the fire, Saffron had approached the park's owner, Ted Hopkins, and offered to buy it. Hopkins had turned him down, though. So it was therefore interesting to look at who ended up owning Luna Park after the fire because Ted ended up selling. Now, you know, you would think that, okay, maybe it's going to be Abe, but it wasn't Abe who owned it. He was not the one who bought it off Ted. But his nephew, Sam Cowper, was the financial controller. His cousins, Coleman and Harold Goldstein, were the directors and shareholders and Saffron had managed to get a hundred of his arcade games installed in the park. So, thoughts about that? Oh my gosh, I'm just I'm I'm just <laughs> gone completely sidetracked, and I'm reading about this guy because I'm trying to see how I know him. But there's so many so many figures in this story. But literally, he had holdings in the Raffles Hotel in Perth. Yeah, yeah, and I. Uber eats the chicken parmy from the raffles today for lunch. <laughs> that place is still around and this guy, and I was just looking into it, like he's had, I think he's had two royal commissions against him. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. this guy is dodgy as fuck. 
Yeah. So, yeah, I guess it would have looked too obvious if he'd bought Luna Park after all of that. But he seems to have, like, inserted his family in there somehow as well, you know? Yeah, yeah. But they always... Yeah. They Even if they don't intentionally want to insert their families into it, their families are inserted into it. It's their life. Mm. Like, yeah. And, I mean, if he's got 100 of his arcade games installed in the park as well, that's going to financially benefit him, yeah. right? So his niece rats him out and gives all this information. So um, gives all this, this information. Now, she would later deny that she said any of it and she demanded the story not be published. But unfortunately for her, the interviews were recorded. So, yeah. so yeah, thoughts on that. Um, why would she come forward and say it if it wasn't true? It's, she's playing yeah. this part. I think that we can say that this is likely what happened, right? It's and that's, yeah, and then it's also likely that she tried to withdraw her story because of who he is mm. and what he was capable of. Mm. Yeah, exactly. She probably got a bit of pressure, I'd say. Yeah. I mean, she came forward in, what, 2007 and, and Saffron died in 2006, so she probably came forward after he died thinking, you know, that she wasn't going to have any consequences, then maybe... She did get consequences after all or something like that. Oh, no, because, wait, when did he die? Well, obviously, he, yeah, 2006. Yeah, and she came forward in 2007. Did she come forward in 2007 or was it aired in 2007? No, no, she came forward in 2007 because that's when the reporter got her story, but it wasn't until, like, 2020 when they made the documentary that, Kate came forward and went, oh, I actually spoke to someone who's got some pretty good information here. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it sounds as though it's kind of the commonly held theory now is that Abe Saffron wanted to own Luna Park, obviously to have his own business holdings in there as well, yeah. and the owner wouldn't sell it to him. So I suppose lighting a massive fire would probably cause someone to maybe want to sell up. I don't know. I don't know what the train of thought there was. <laughs> You know, some sort of massive disaster. So, screw the business over. It's so, so evil, though. I mean, come on. That's a children's ride, for goodness sakes. Yeah. That's all money talks. Yeah, I know. So with all these new accounts coming to light, there is a push for a new inquest. Yeah. To get some closure, although Saffron's long dead, so he's not going to get any consequences. Yeah. Now, there is one more thing that I want to talk about, though, with this case, which is a very creepy sidebar. And it was the reason why it was mentioned on my ghost tour. So the Godsons, Jenny, John, Damien, Craig, uh, the latter three who died in the fire, they had something really strange happen that day. So to get to Luna Park from Sydney CBD, you've got to catch a ferry from Circular Quay. So the family was in Circular Quay waiting to do just that before they got on as they're waiting some street performers come through come through dancing they're like pagan style sort of dancing i don't know i don't know what they were meant to be they're all dressed up in costumes though a tall guy in a costume walks over to damien and says nothing and puts his hand firmly on his shoulder now damien's not down with this he's not at all impressed um this guy looks scary af and but in that in that moment a picture is taken, probably by John, because Jenny couldn't, like when she couldn't remember taking it. When Jenny gets home after the fire, she eventually gets her pictures developed and is shocked 
to find this picture. Now I got to show it to you. Oh. <laughs> you said you could handle it. <laughs> yeah, I need I need him to come into the room and be here with me. <laughs> you witness me scare myself <laughs> on a phone scrolling through Facebook <laughs> in front of multiple people. <laughs> All right, here you go. <laughs> I can't even hear you. I think you've knocked your you've knocked your microphone out. <laughs> For all of you playing at home, she just like did this weird like backwards roll off just about off the bed and screamed the house down. <laughs> I honestly cannot hear you. You've knocked your microphone out. <laughs> Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. No, I got you back. <laughs> All right, tell me your initial thoughts other than the screaming and rolling. You've upset the dog now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so this is the point where I suggest that if anyone need, has, a, has some sort of device on them, go and look at this photo straight away. You're like screaming into your pillow. All right, everyone take a deep breath and talk normally, please. Use your words. Oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm even right now. <laughs> okay. 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 I wasn't ready for that. I just saw <laughs> the small child and the body, the lower part of the man, and then like that top bit. I thought like the weird head and that was like a ghost spirit thing <laughs> behind them. <laughs> so, I thought describe. it was going to be scary. You said you're going to show me a picture and I thought it was going to be some sort of ghost. <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you describe to us all what you're looking at? Cow man. Cow man. <laughs> figure it out yeah he's got like a mask on with horns yeah. and it's, hair it's a guy it's a guy in a loincloth okay yeah that bit too yeah with yeah like a cow skin sort of mask with horns. <laughs> yeah it's pretty horrific like it's like i'm 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 with <laughs> okay it's not great but it's not my reaction gary <laughs> That was a bit of an overreaction. Um, I'm with Damien. I would have that look on my face too if this guy came over and put his hand on my shoulder. It's very strange. It's very strange. Um, yeah. It's very weird. Mm, very, very weird. So, and I don't know who he was and why he was there. No. So this photo is released um, to the media as well. So, And nobody ever comes forward and says this was me or I know who that was or anything like that. So... The speculation wheel goes into overdrive. So this guy is dressed as Moloch, the pagan god of child sacrifice who would kill children by burning them in a furnace. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so I was right to scream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The screaming was totally warranted. <laughs> and the rolling, the rolling was warranted. <laughs> I was just trying to cover my face with the pillow. 
you look like Homer when he does that little like like goes on his back and goes. Whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes. So, this guy comes out of nowhere, dressed like a pagan god of child burning. Puts his hand on Damien's shoulder. Take a moment to say that I just fucking screamed really loudly, and my boyfriend hasn't even come in to see if I'm okay. I wouldn't know because you literally knocked your microphone (laughs) out of the computer when you screamed, so I was spared. (laughs) Okay, okay. Could be dead. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Thoughts on Moloch? Bit of a creepy sidebar. Yeah, why is he there? And no one knows why he was there. No, I know. Everyone's like, well, clearly it's a pagan demon come to take the child's soul and burn it, you know, which, I mean, no, but also creepy, right? Yeah, very creepy. Very creepy. Very, very creepy. It's okay. So, Like, you know, when you get those things and someone's like, look at this picture, is it? What do you see? Do you mm. see a duck or do you see a bunny? Oh, yeah. The you know, or do you thing. see the vase or do you see two people kissing? And then, like, once you see one of the things, you can't see the other thing. Yeah. So that is sort of like what's happened to me with this picture. <laughs> because when I first saw that picture, I thought it was it was really scary. And now I'm just looking at it. And the more I look at it, the funnier it gets. Yeah. Like the concept behind it, yeah, okay. He's like some sort of weird child sacrifice guy. Um, yeah, that's horrific. But the actual outfit and the, the leopard loincloth is it's all just very strange. It's too much. It's too much. It's really too crazy. much. Yeah. yeah. So I think I'm gonna blame Abe Saffron before I blame Moloch in this case. Gotta say. Yes. <laughs> Poor Moloch is so misunderstood. Yeah, yeah. He's trying to get around with his loincloth. He's yeah. got abs. And, you know, got abs this morning. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he's ripped. <laughs> I mean, you can sacrifice me if you want. <laughs> I did not just say that. <laughs> um, Yes. So, final thoughts on this case? Uh, Well, as yeah, look, the thought did pop into my head like some sort of, you know, even before you brought up Abe. So, I'm going to go with my first. Mm that it was some sort of like hit some sort of intimidation tactic yeah um maybe that actually you know maybe me being me i want to see the good in people maybe the old guy didn't actually mean for that to happen maybe it wasn't his intention maybe it was just to scare them like i'll set fire on one of the rides and it will be bad for business maybe mm. he didn't actually mean to kill ch- innocent children mm um nah i'm not giving him the benefit of the doubt i think he's an evil mofo yeah well reading up on him um yeah for sure yeah all right well everyone come and um have a look at the picture Um, (laughs) tell us if you have the same reaction (laughs) we did because that was hilarious um yep (laughs) i wish we were a youtube podcast at that point that was hilarious Can you imagine what it's like going on a ghost tour with me? Oh uh, no, 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 I wouldn't. <laughs> I don't think you would either. It's like my well, I've been on a ghost tour and I screamed at an innocent possum. <laughs> oh my god. Have I not told you that story? Yeah, yeah. 
came running out of nowhere and I was like, what the this poor boss is just like shit. I'm just trying to live my life, man. I'm just trying to get to some trees and find some nuts, man. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. And that was the last ghost tour. <laughs> no, actually, no, no. I went on another ghost tour <laughs> to the Fremantle prison. Oh yeah, that one's not that exciting though. I've been on that one a couple of times. Yeah, it's not not too scary. It's more of a history tour. Yeah, yeah. The history, yeah. Yeah, it's like my mum. She um, has zero tolerance for jump scares and you can't – I literally cannot sit next to her while she's watching a scary movie because she will scream and flail and, like, give you a black eye if she's sitting next to you. So, like, yeah. me and my sisters just do not sit next to her. Yeah. Yeah, I had one of those last night when we were watching X-Files. And the uh, the boyfriend was like, "What the fuck just happened there?" <laughs> well, you can tell him about what just happened in here. He's probably sitting out there going, "I I want to know what's happened, but I don't want to interrupt them." <laughs> I have a feeling. No, I think I know. Um, he's none the wiser. I'm I'm going to say he probably has his headphones in. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, he can listen. To Otherwise, me. I think he probably would have like knocked on the door quietly and been like, "Are you?" Are you okay? <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm fine. Then he just like walks in to see this weird cow man on the fucking computer screen. <laughs> yeah, that seems abs- about right. These abs and loincloth. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, that was terrifying. Yeah. Anyway, we've lost it. So that's the end of that. Episode, <laughs> I think. Um. Yeah. Let us know what you think. Uh. Do you think it was Abe? Do you think it was something else? Do you think it was Moloch with the abs? Um, yeah, let us know what you think and we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.